listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast, the podcast for coaches, leaders and academics who are interested in translating research into practice. Each episode, I discuss a brand new piece of cutting-edge research and translate the findings with suggestions of how you can incorporate the research into your practice. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca J. Jones. Now, on with today's show. Hi and welcome to today's episode of the Coaching Academic Podcast. I'm joined again by Dr. Holly Andrews. Hi, Holly. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to be chatting about a paper called Achieving Leadership and Success, a 28-year follow-up of college women leaders, which was published uh, last year in the Leadership Quarterly by uh, Lynn Offerman, Caitlin Thomas, Lauren Lanzo Mm -hmm. and Lindsay Smith. And I selected this paper for us to discuss for a couple of reasons. So I've been working recently on a project for a client um, updating a white paper all about barriers to career progression for women. So I've been having kind of deep dive into the literature on on, um, career progression for women and I came across this study And it really appealed to me as a researcher because of this 28-year follow-up research design, which we'll tell you a bit more about later. But from doing research myself, it just kind of blows my mind that these people waited 28 years between between kind of collecting data, or at least that's what I thought they did when I first read the paper. But, um, um, But the other thing I was reflecting on is, most of my coaching clients tend to be women and they tend to be uh, leaders or aspiring leaders. So a lot of the findings here are particularly relevant in my own coaching context. But I think for uh, lots of our listeners, hopefully they'll find this this useful as well. So Holly, you, you're going to start us off, aren't you, by telling us a bit about the theory behind the paper and what they wanted to, to address. Yeah, so I'll tell you a bit about what they were focusing on. There are thousands of different variables you could look at to predict um, leadership success. And the one that they chose to focus in on particularly was this idea of leadership identity and achievement motivation. And they link these two together quite closely. So they talk in the paper about how leadership identity, so whether you see yourself as a leader or not, is a really important predictor of whether you actually go on to be a leader and they make some really interesting um, observations about how prototypically we tend to see leadership characteristics as being more masculine and actually that can be detrimental to women because either they don't display these traits or as we were talking about when we were discussing this paper Rebecca when they do they can sometimes actually be penalized for displaying these traits because it's not seen as traditionally feminine so there's a, a real problem in particular for women around leadership identity that the authors pulled out. Holly you had um, I, I think you had a really interesting observation I mean slightly off on a tangent about how that can even be true in with the research on psychopaths which I know is your one of your kind of hot topics like my favorite things to talk about yeah so research that looks at sentencing of psychopathic offenders comparing male and female psychopaths there are far fewer female psychopaths but 
there are female psychopaths out there. And when you match um, the crimes for severity, we find that female psychopaths are sentenced much more harshly than their male counterparts. Authors believe this because the crimes that psychopaths commit are seen as so kind of opposed to what we expect women to do we tend to expect women to be caring and nurturing and these are quite typically you know quite violent instrumental crimes that we just don't expect women to commit and we see that then as being much more shocking and horrifying and yeah they get much harsher sentences (laughs) so it's quite an extreme example but you know even in in the context of leadership we'd see this through the evidence that what we expect a leader to kind of look like in terms of perhaps being very ambitious and driven and competitive. They tend to be seen as masculine traits. And even though when women do demonstrate those traits, they can then be penalized because they're not kind of being feminine, but perhaps they need those traits to get ahead. So it's this kind of double bind that you can't win. Either way, you know, if you're you're penalized, if you've got them, and if you haven't got them, then you can't get, you can't kind of, um, get ahead so to speak absolutely and they, they then go on to relate this idea of leadership identity to different achievement motivations and they pull out a model that's around connective leadership identify different types of achievement motivation they focus particularly on what they call the direct styles so these are styles that are characterized by facing achievement tasks through one's own efforts so this is all about focusing on you what you're going to do um, and what you want to achieve as an individual whereas some of the other styles are more to do with you you know using other people um, or working in teams and things and then they differentiate there are three direct styles of achievement motivation the first is power direct, and this is the one that's most closely related to leadership. So this is seeing oneself as a leader, taking leadership roles and controlling others and situations. There's then competitive direct. That's when your achievement is all around comparing your performance with other people's and getting satisfaction from actually achieving more or besting others as they define it here. And then there's intrinsic direct achievement. And this is where you measure your performance against your own internal standards rather than comparing to other people. So these were the three achievement orientations or motivations that they chose to measure um, in this paper. And then they also looked at lots of other variables as well. We're not going to talk about all of them in the podcast today because they'd be, well, the podcast would be about an hour long. But things that we're going to focus on particularly, they then looked at things like whether people had mentors, whether they were engaging in networking or what their networking skills were like, what their kind of career path had been. Had they had children? Had they taken career breaks? And they also measured this achievement style and leadership identity when they when they did the follow up study 28 years later. Yeah, so um, so this was this is one of the things that appealed to, to me when I spotted this paper was this kind of time lag of 28 years because I've done a few longitudinal experiments in my own research um, and 
normally you've got a gap of around three months or six months. So when I saw 28 years, I just thought, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But actually reading the study, you realised that it wasn't the, the same researchers. Because I was joking with Holly that these people must have the patience of saints to kind of set off the first lot of questionnaires and think right oh in 28 years we're gonna have this amazing data set but um yeah they were they were they didn't quite do that but it's still a, an impressive design nonetheless so in 1985 195 college women leader participants were identified so basically these were undergraduate students I think the average age was around 19 who'd all been identified to attend a national women's leadership conference which was designed to enhance their leadership identities and skills and um, this is based in the US uh, so these uh, women were from a range of different institutes and um, they were basically identified by their institutes as having leadership potential, or they were already in some form of kind of leadership roles within the, the institution. And they attended this short program. And, and as part of that, they collected some data from them. And then uh, 28 years later, they were uh, contacted again to see whether they participate in the second phase of the research. And so at that point in time, the, the this kind of the new researchers so the ones that have published this paper they administered some of the same questionnaires again but as Holly said they also collected some other data so they were able to basically uh, have a look over the lifespan whether certain um, things like their achievement orientation predicted their career success later in life so in the the 28 year later time point was in 2013 and at that point in time, the average age was 48. Um, the women were employed in a range of occupations and they were a range of kind of career level. So right up to kind of a small percentage of them were CEOs or partners in their own companies. Most of the participants were white, 85% were white. Most had been married at least once and most had raised or were raising at least one child. So 77% had had a child and the common number of children was two. So 43% had two children. So that just gives you a little bit of a feel for the participant sample. So in terms of what they found, as Holly said, we're just going to kind of zone in on some of the key results because this is a really extensive piece of research and it, it it's investigated lots of different variables but we're going to kind of pick out the ones that we think are the most relevant for for coaches and for coaching practice yeah so the first one is this idea of leadership identity and achievement orientation so they found that those with a power direct orientation so that's the one who the ones who aspire to and derive satisfaction from leading and managing others um, having that orientation was significantly associated with achieving a top leadership position 28 years later. So that was a, a really interesting finding that at college at 19, that particular aspiration, that achievement motivation could then predict where these women were when they were nearly 50. The competitive direct orientation, so the one about, you know, being better than other people, that didn't significantly predict whether the women were top leaders or not, but it did predict three subjective outcomes, um, how people perceived their career success, how satisfied they were with their career, and how much progress they felt that they'd made with their career in life. 
and it was also associated with current salary as well so more competitive orientated people had higher salaries so I think this is a a really interesting one for coaching because we can really think about coaching women and women who are in or aspiring to leadership positions actually helping them to build that identity as a leader um, seems to be really important in actually predicting success here. Yeah, so they really talk about it in the context of this um, identity theory and, and how if we see ourselves as a leader, then we're likely to also perhaps seek out leadership roles and experiences and, and, and that can then help support our ability to, to actually become a leader. So it's kind of linked in that way. And we thought one of the important findings from this is really uh, around supporting people or exploring with people what they, how they perceive or what they perceive a leader to be, and maybe challenging some of those implicit assumptions that, that Holly mentioned at the beginning, this idea that a leader has to have these masculine traits uh, and, and these are implicit assumptions. So often we might not even realize that this is, Kind of there and this is how we're viewing a leader so uh, for me one thing coaching can do is actually reflecting on and discussing that you know discussing with your client well what does it mean to be a leader to you and really understanding that uh, what a leader looks like and then exploring how that might align with how they see themselves and and trying to bring those, those kind of two together yeah and the the authors explicitly mentioned that this suggests that the importance of career counselling and likewise it could be career coaching. If you're a coach that's involved in dealing with young people, perhaps, you know, either while they're at university or when they're just entering the workforce, this could be particularly important at that point in somebody's lifespan because um, it can set the trajectory for the rest of their lives. Mm. Yeah. And, and then the other uh, finding that we really wanted to highlight was around the effects of networking on career outcomes. So with this study, they measured networking behaviours in 2013. So they were looking at um, what the kind of networking behaviours the women were engaged with now. And they found that there was a significant positive effect of networking on career outcomes, which basically means that the more networking women were engaged in, the more likely they were to report themselves as being successful, being satisfied and being better compensated than women who reported lower levels of networking. And these findings really support other findings in the literature that seem to show time and time again that networking is really important for career success. And there is also, it isn't specifically focused on here because the sample in this study is just women. So there's no comparison against men. But I know from from the other literature that I've looked at that women traditionally tend to do uh, engage with fewer networking opportunities than men. And this is another one of those factors that can contribute to why women may kind of struggle to progress at the, the same rate and so I think this finding again just gives us some really practical recommendations in terms of supporting our clients to understand how important networking is you know it, it, the uh, authors highlight in this paper that um, they say unfortunately networking activities may be the first thing to be neglected or abandoned by those struggling to balance work and home responsibilities 
as they're typically not required work activities. And that that really resonated with me because I I see that in my own work um, as well as my clients as well. It's, you know, some might feel like something that's nice to do, but not essential. But actually the research really indicates that if career progression is important to you, then something like networking needs to be uh, kind of recognized as, as something really fundamental to helping you achieve that. Yeah. So as a coach, you could really explore with somebody their networking, what their strategies are, um, how they can manage their time in order to ensure that they've got the opportunity, the time to engage in this networking and how they make the most of it and Mm. kind of follow up on the contacts that they make. So, yeah, I think that's a really nice practical application of this study. Yeah. The last thing that we wanted to highlight from the the results as a counterintuitive uh, result from this study so they looked at whether the women had had a mentor um, across their career and they were predicting that having a mentor would be associated with increased career success but actually they found the reverse relationship that the women who had had a mentor were less likely to be in senior leadership positions than women who hadn't and so the author's hypothesize some possible reasons for this relationship they all center around kind of the perception of mentoring and they suggest that perhaps mentoring might have been applied as a remedial intervention for people who were struggling at a particular point in time and or it might have been perceived by women um, who were aspiring to leadership positions as being a sign of weakness if they actually asked for a mentor. So those women who were really aspirational might have avoided seeking out a mentor. So that might explain the relationship. Mm. Now, obviously, mentoring and coaching are distinct, but they are quite closely aligned. And we were thinking that actually this finding has real implications for how we brand and how we market the coaching profession and what impact that might have on people's willingness to engage in coaching and ironically the outcomes um, that they might expect. So I think everyone working within coaching would typically see coaching as a positive psychology type of intervention. It's there to enhance performance um, and to help people to achieve the most that they possibly can. Yeah, and and this is something I've talked about in in one of my other research papers, in how important it is to be to have a high motivation to be coached, and why this is a problem if coaching is being provided as something that's remedial. So, if you've got someone who's being sent to coaching basically because they're a they're a kind of problem child <laughs> type, you know they've got problems at work or they need fixing or it, it's there's something that there's something that's perceived to be kind of wrong with them and coaching is being seen as the solution that that can be particularly problematic if that person doesn't want to be coached they're kind of being sent to be coached to to help fix them but they haven't really bought into why they need coaching or and, and the research shows that if motivation to be coached isn't high, then it's not going to have a a strong an effect on outcomes as as if the desire to be coached is there. And generally, if someone is uh, seeking coaching for developmental reasons, then they're going to have a stronger commitment and desire to be coached than, than otherwise. 
And again, this is probably true for mentoring. If if you're being given a allocated a mentor as some sort of remedial action, then your desire to be mentored possibly isn't as high as if you have a mentor because you see the you know perhaps linking it to the other finding the networking opportunities. You know, one of the advantages of having an, a mentor traditionally is that they can open up new networks for you and help it expand your network in that way. So. It's, I think it's a complicated finding. Um, I mean, I think it also is indicative, as the authors say, they say, given the times and the scarcity of women in top roles, high achieving women might have feared seeking a mentor. And, and I think, you know, if we think about 1985 and what the world would have been like for women in, in high achieving positions, then maybe that was the case, that they really had to, you know, any sign of weakness would have been seen as a disadvantage and, and I hope times have changed and that isn't still the case now but um, it, it's certainly an interesting finding for us to consider um, I mean there's a couple of methodological issues potentially with this this result in particular isn't there Holly because um, for one it relies on the participants memory of uh, reflecting back on the last 20 years and whether they consider that they've had a, um, a kind of an important mentor in their life. And we did wonder that potentially uh, you may have had an important mentor in the early years of your career, but, you know, when you're in your late 40s, the influence of that mentor may seem less important. So when they're completing the survey, they didn't highlight it potentially. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of issues with retrospective reporting, particularly over you know this extended period of time, mm. um, which you know draws some questions about about the reliability of this study. So it would be interesting to see going forward in a in a longitudinal study where kind of mentoring is measured or coaching is measured at the start, um, how that then goes on to predict career success. And then just one other thing that we wanted to highlight with this, this um, sample, because while it's a, it's a really, it, it's a very interesting study and in many ways uh, it's to be commended because of the, the nature of the data that's been collected and the quality and rigor of the data, there are you know, a couple of things that potentially limit the usefulness. So one of those is that the, the sample of women that participated, I think could be described as quite an elite sample. Um, obviously it was based in the US as well. And that means that the women in this sample would have been subjected to uh, the unique set of barriers that are present for women working in the US that may or may not be relevant in other um, countries. So, so, for example, one area that we haven't picked up on here, but they did look at the impact of a prolonged career gap, for example, to, to look after children. And I think in the US in particular, there's very different kind of maternity pay and, and standards around leave compared to other countries. And so it, I, we can't automatically translate the findings from that context to other countries. But Nevertheless, it, I think some really interesting things for us to think about when we're supporting women in their kind of career journeys. Yeah, and it, in some ways, it's quite a sad picture that there are still these so many varied, complex, interacting barriers um, for women's leadership success. But on the other hand, like I say, we are on a journey to 
achieving better equality and as coaches you know we're uniquely positioned to actually help support women to break through those barriers and achieve whatever success they want um, in their career and outside of their working life so the more papers like this we can get even with their you know caveats Mm -hmm. the more it can help us to kind of understand success for women and support that as coaches absolutely so thanks for joining me again Holly just to remind everybody we were talking about the paper achieving leadership and success a 28-year follow-up of college women leaders Um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you again soon bye thanks for listening to the coaching academic podcast If you're interested in reading my research, sponsoring the show, or in hiring me as a researcher, coach, or speaker, check out my website, www.rebeccajjones.co.uk. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review in iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future show, then please get in touch via my website. Finally, you can connect with me on Twitter at coach underscore research. Thanks for listening.